Okay, Chance, when was the last time you switched carriers? Switched carriers with the iPhone 13, I think. So two years ago, I switched to T-Mobile from AT&T. And in America, I mean, I guess you're in eSIM at this point, right? Uh, Yes. Did you keep your number? Yes, I kept my number. My wife did not because she had... She had Sprint, which obviously got acquired by T-Mobile at some point. But in 2019, or I guess it would have been like 2020, 2021, T-Mobile did not have the infrastructure to port Sprint phone numbers, even though they owned Sprint. Even though they owned the company. Yeah. <laughs> so she but had you- to get a new phone number, but it was they ported my number from AT&T in like 15 minutes, maybe. In 15 minutes. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. How long did it take for when you swapped over to the number switch over? So literally 15 minutes. Okay. And then they gave me a free iPhone 13 or something as part of like a promotion. So, yeah. And is the 15 minute thing because it's eSIM or was that kind of the situation back in the day as well when you had physical SIMs too? That would have been a physical SIM, I believe. Okay. So, yeah. So in 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 the incredible across the pond of the United Kingdom where oh, well, iPhones still have SIM card trays because the eSIM revolution is not really hit here yet. You can get eSIMs nowadays, but they're still not the most popular option. Um, I'm, I've been waiting for the year when Apple like expands the similar iPhone to just be on the US, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, so over here, SIM cards, physical SIM cards are still the thing. And we obviously have... Um, we have like... A lot more carriers, I think, in total, because you have like three, right, for the entire the country. I mean, you have some of the small ones like Mint, like um, you know, Mint Mobile and stuff. But in general, you've got three big ones, right? Yeah, and T-Mobile owns yeah. Mint now, so that's <laughs> oh, and they own it. Okay, right, yeah. They're small. AT and T, Verizon, yeah. and T-Mobile, yeah, right? Correct. These days, are, yeah. In in the UK, we have like a, a probably say like six big ones, and then we have a load of like Mint Mobile equivalents of you know like mm-hmm. the MVNO kind of ones. So I feel like switching carriers is more commonly done in Britain than it is done in America. But mm-hmm. I do it like every couple of years, depending on who's going to give me a good deal on the SIM, right? Because I buy the phone out, right? So I just I just swap carriers like every year, every two, depending on what the deals are. But anyway, I had to do it this week. And I'm in that awkward stage where the i have let i the old sim still works if i put it in the if i put it in the phone but i've technically yeah. started the new contract on the new sim card right but the mm. and I, I i asked to port the number when i got the new contracts like you order the sim and it says do you want to port your phone number and you say yes and the way we port our phone numbers i don't know if you do this in america is you have to ask the old carrier for a pack code pac code mm-hmm. and then you give that pac code to the new carrier and then you have to wait for an indeterminate amount of time for whatever happens on the new carrier's end to process the pack code, <laughs> and eventually the number switches over. So okay. I put the pack code in, and, and originally, you know, a few years ago, to get a pack code was a nightmare. You'd have to phone up on the call up on the phone, hang on the line for hours, and then finally, you know, go through all their retention salespeople to eventually mm-hmm. get to like, no, I actually want to leave. Give me a pack code, and then they'd send it to you. Nowadays, you can just like text the old carrier, and they send it to you in a text. So. I got the I got the pack code. Did it with the order for the new sim, thinking, "Oh, this would be nice and seamless." Blah, blah, blah. But I knew in the, my heart of hearts, every time I have to deal with a pack code, it never works properly, or it takes forever. So the new sim arrives, put the sim in. Of course, the number hasn't ported over. So I put the phone in, you know, set it up. It's now on the it's now on this random new number that obviously nobody has, and you know, FaceTime and iMessage want to start contacting from the new number, so you have to like cancel uh... it all out. So it's a whole mess. So I'm currently in a situation where my FaceTime and iMessage are on the old phone number, i.e. my actual phone number, 
and the but if i try and do an outgoing phone call or like a text message it will go from the random number right <laughs> and supposedly you know doing the order was like when the new sims activated your phone number will be switched over to hasn't happened so now i'm in a purgatory where the carrier the new carrier which in this case is ee although i've had this experience on pretty much all of them uh, has my pack code supposedly is meant to be doing something uh, but mm-hmm. my phone number is still not ported so i'm just literally like stuck <laughs> and they've told me so uh I, so this was again i did it as part of the order to try and get it done seamlessly but that didn't work so then i after you got the sim card you can also then request the sim phone number transfer you know afterwards right so like you've got the new sim you can do it from that phone so you like text special code over the new sim and it asks you for the pack code from the old sim text it to them they reply it's going to take up it can take anywhere up to 48 hours so i did this last night and it might not be ported until friday at 6 p.m but there's no progress there's no clear understanding of whether anything's actually happening or whether it's going to work or not so for the next two days i'm just kind of stuck (laughs) here kind of not wanting to tell phone anybody just in case they get the new number because i don't know who it is but also, I don't really know what's going I don't understand why this isn't just like automatic. Because it feels like some random human somewhere is like yeah. flicking switches and turning <laughs> dials to like make this number change over. But I wonder if that's why when you called me on FaceTime before the show, it showed up as a different phone number and not your contact card. That may indeed be why. I'm looking on the T-Mobile like support page to port a phone number from to T-Mobile. And it says, the transfer will typically complete from 10 minutes to 3 hours. Not 48 hours like you have Yeah, to I've never suffer. had a pack code transfer in 15 minutes. It's at least a day normally. And this one's taking two whole days because I, I submitted, I, I, I did the form submission yesterday and they're saying right. it's going to be done until Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, so, but the other thing is there's no progress on like when it's happened or if it's done. So you just have to like turn your phone on and off every few hours <laughs> and see if anything's changed. Uh, so I'm now a day into the two-day window which should have been done when the sim was activated in the first place, right. but still haven't got the new the number ported over. Which is really um, disconcerting and a bit cause a bit of anxious because, like, what if the number like gets stuck or never transfers? Because, like, you know, two factor codes. Half the two factor codes are all attached to your sim card phone number, right? Oh yeah. So they're all my old phone number. So you know, until the until that contract. So I guess I've got still got a few days left on the old contract based on when the payment period is. I can, if I really need to, I can put the old sim back in again. Um, but it's a it's it's really annoying. And like for something as important as like your actual number, yeah. I just wish it was a lot simpler. Uh, it does sound like at least in America, it's not as painful as that. And maybe when eventually the British system comes around to eSIM, it will improve it here too. But at least right now, I'm in porting number purgatory and just hoping that ee can sort it out i'm sure there's horror stories over here of people who have had problems but why didn't so does ee not have e-sims is that why you didn't switch from physical to uh, e-sim uh, uh, the deal that i bought was sim card physical sim card oh uh, okay the e-sim deals that they have around here are more expensive generally i, I find so the for the best deal uh, that i wanted because i only pay like six pound a month Six pound a month, yeah, boy, for your phone service. Yep, unlimited text, unlimited calls, five gig of data. Oh, five gig of data. Well, still, even with five gigs of data, that's pretty good. I'd rather wait forty eight hours to get my phone number ported than pay T Mobile one hundred and fifty dollars a month for phone service. So, yeah, I mean, if I wanted like unlimited data or like you know, it'd probably be like twenty quid. So. That's that's the price difference. Yeah, I don't feel bad for you anymore. I 
but it's, 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 it's SIM card only, right? Because I bought the phone separately. Right, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I wish it was simpler because the fact that someone somewhere has this now magic six-digit code that can, like, control my old phone number is kind of worrying, you know? It's like, what if yeah. they, like, type it in their own phone and then they've got it? Uh, they like, start my number <laughs> or something. I don't know. I just wish it was... I just I just feel like in the modern era, they should be able to just press a button and it happen. But now I'm just waiting... And at some point, it will hopefully work. If not, then I guess I'll have to phone them up and have a whole rigmarole tomorrow. Yeah, when I switched from AT&T to T-Mobile, I did it all in the T-Mobile store, which I'm sure helped the process, but it was quick. It was not 48 hours. So I don't... Did we talk about last week? I think we did at the very end of the episode about the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Pro overheating concerns. So yes, yeah. Apparently... This started right after the phones came out and kind of continued brewing for a few days. Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal published reports. Ming-Chi Kuo published a report saying it was due to design compromises. Basically, the compromises Apple made to make the phones lighter meant there was less area for heat to dissipate. Apple stayed quiet on this for the first week and a half. And then on a random Saturday last week, they gave a statement to 9to5Mac and other people basically saying there was a software bug in iOS 17 that was causing some of these problems, but they also blamed the problems on third-party apps that had bugs that were causing those apps to overload the iPhone CPU. So they blamed Uber, Instagram, and Asphalt 9. What I love a collection. The inclu- <laughs> yeah, I love the inclusion of Asphalt 9 in that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know how they found out it was Asphalt 9. But then and presumably all... there must be others. Like they didn't really go yeah. into detail on what level of battery drain they are flagging up as a like are the, are all three of these apps having exhibiting the exact same problem, or you know, is it just like this app is exceeding some quota that they came up with in some internal metric? Like they didn't really uh, go into detail on how they singled out those three. I'm sure they jumped at the opportunity to single out Uber and Instagram, yeah. <laughs> two of their favorite companies. <laughs> then. They also said in the statement... But, uh, to be fair, though, there were some YouTube videos before Apple did the statement who had found that the Instagram app was like, taking the CPU yeah. 100%. Uh, so Apple some... probably saw those videos and then they were like, oh, here's the statement. We, we blame yeah, it on Instagram. Yeah, because the other thing is they never really explained why... Like, is is it a bug like in contempor- like contemporaneous with iOS 17? Or is right. it like in- yeah. interlinked with iOS 17? Like, did Instagram misbehave on iOS 16 as well? Like, they didn't really... It's still unclear exactly what happened around that. And Instagram and Uber have issued updates that supposedly fixed the problems. And the Instagram update came out before iOS 17.0.3. So presumably that means Instagram was misbehaving on iOS 17 somehow, iOS 17 specifically, but I don't know. Then one other thing Apple said in their statement was that it's not the titanium design of the iPhone 15 Pro causing the problems. In fact, they said that the titanium design combined with the the new aluminum substructure actually leads to better heat dissipation this year than the stainless steel iPhone 14 Pro. So Apple seemed very keen on making sure people knew it's not a design flaw, despite what Ming-Chi Kuo, Bloomberg, and the Wall Street Journal reported. Did did the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg say it was hardware specific? I don't think they, they necessarily did. suggested it. I think. Yeah, there was they some... did the thing where it was like it's overheating. It's a brand new design. Like correlation. I guess they put out the implication, but they didn't like yeah. specifically say one way or other. Yeah, 
the, the, I think we said on the show last week, the Ming-Chi Kuo explanation did sound a bit weird to me um, at the time. Because, like, you know, even if the foam was identical and they just changed the stainless steel side for titanium, it's like one millimeter of material yeah, around the side. Right. You know, like most of the heat goes out the back, which is still the same glass as the year before. So, um, you know, I'd expect the heat dissipation to be similar. And obviously Apple says it's better because of the aluminium thing. And which, you know, they probably have data on from the iPhone 14 last year, which did this on the low-end phone first, right? Like, that's one of the right, reasons why yeah. they redesigned the low-end phone first internally is just to check that there wasn't any crazy problems with it, right? So then this year, they can safely do it on the higher-end phones and know there isn't an issue there. Uh, so, and I think some of the people got slightly confused where they thought that iOS 17.0.3 is going to fix whatever problem was causing Uber, Instagram, and Asphalt 9 to overload the system, but it's separate It's separate situations. So, yeah. like, mm-hmm. there's an app issue somewhere, and there was separately an OS, OS issue somewhere. Uh, and we did some, like, Geekbench testing just to see that, you know, the, the CPU hasn't been, like, throttled down or anything like that, um, which I wasn't expecting it to, and Apple says it wasn't being necessary, and the numbers do support that. I think what the iOS 17.0.3 update contains... And, you know, again, Apple isn't going to specifics, but there was probably some, like, system demon that was bugging out. So it was just, like, in a hot loop, going, pegging the system, going round and round and round. You know, yeah. I'll just make something up. The photo's sinking, you know. There was a bug that meant that the photo's demon that runs in the background is doing way more work than it needed to at any particular time. Um, and so that was contributing to some warming up. Then you had the app situation. Of course, Instagram and Uber are very popular. I guess Asphalt 9 must be proper enough for Apple to include it in the press release. Uh, <laughs> and then also they blame just like general indexing from the first few few days of use, right? So they kind of came in three different ways. And I do think the whole thing was slightly blown out of proportion. But there was some truth to it, right? Like people yeah. had phones and they were getting hotter than before. And I even thought my 14 Pro, like not a 15, was running hot uh, last week on iOS 17. I'd never really felt it was that hot before. So... Uh, and it, the iOS 17.0.3 release notes just say that uh, this update improve, in, provides important bug fixes, security updates, and addresses an issue that may cause iPhone to run warmer than expected. It doesn't specifically single out the iPhone 15, right? So I think it's very possible that older phones were also being impacted by whatever OS issue there was, you know, whatever demon was running running amok, and now that was, that's all been tidied up. Uh so a decent response from Apple, I'd say. Uh, they were quiet originally, and then they came out with a pretty fierce statement over the weekend, and then the software release followed two days later. So it's kind of the usual playbook from them. I saw uh, our colleague Felipe Esposito say that iOS 17.0.3 was, I think, compiled on Sunday, or la- on Saturday, rather, and that he said that that's a pretty quick turnaround from being compiled to being released. So it seems clear that once Apple found the problem, they worked pretty quick to fix it. Because this was going, even if it was kind of blown out of proportion, it was going like mainstream press, like iPhone 15s have this major design flaw. And maybe Apple initially hoped that they could ride it out and just blame it on those first few days of over-indexing. But at some point, they switched up. And maybe maybe initially, they didn't find, they couldn't find a bug, right? Like So they didn't know what to say. And then they found it, and then they released a statement about it. So, like, you know, these things are not, like, hard sight. Like, if, if they could find a bug when someone said there's a bug, then they would, they'd find it before the OS came out, right? Like, these yeah, things are complicated, right. and, you know, you have to hunt things down, and the code base is huge, and they have to do testing and analysis and then find out, that it's, oh, yeah, this is what's there's actually an issue here. Um, and there you go. So, overall, a decent response. But, yeah, you're totally yeah. right. This got a lot of press attention, and I think it percolated out into general media and general population you know like you can talk to normal people and i think they'll tell you 
that the iPhone 15 gets too hot or overheats and stuff. So uh, it will blow over. People will forget. Uh, but this was a this was a thing, and probably the first like gate situation we've had in a while because I don't I can't really yeah. think of one from last year. It didn't really happen as much. This is a pretty significant. My sister, who doesn't read nine to five Mac at all, asked me if her iPhone 15 Pro was going to burn her house down. So that, <laughs> that it at least made it that far. It at least made it to her. We have another like quote unquote gate this year that might have also been blown out of proportion even more so. So this is. This started with Jerry Rig everything on YouTube publishing uh, his usual like durability testing of a new iPhone model. So he did the thing where he scratches up the sides and scratches the titanium to use as a blowtorch on the display, all of that good stuff. But then he also did his test where he tries to put pressure on either end of the phone to get it to crack. I think yeah, to Jerry bend it. Rig- this all came out yeah. of the iPhone six bend gate. I was going to say I know, think- every year. Every year, people want to bend the phone just to see what happens. Yeah. I can't remember if he was the first one to kind of cover the bend gate thing with the iPhone 6, but he's tested it every year since then. And his test found that pretty quickly, within just a few seconds of putting that pressure on either end of the phone to try to bend it, the back glass shattered. And he and said, this was on the Pro Max. The Pro, yeah, the Pro Max. Not. It was just the Pro Max, yeah. And his takeaway was that like this does not happen and phones don't break that easily, especially iPhones. So the snapping of the iPhone 15 Pro Max was abnormally quick, is what he said. Then before this, there was a video from Sam Cole, who had done some drop testing and more real world, like drop it from this height, drop it from that height to see when the phones would crack, and they cracked easier than the 14 and 14 Pro. But this week, Consumer Report was like, nah, this isn't an issue. They did a whole bunch of more scientific testing and basically what they came away with the conclusion that it's no different than previous years. So I don't, the, the, the big takeaway here is that if you drop your phone, it may or may not break regardless of what a YouTube video or what consumer reports or whoever tested and what their test showed. Like, Yeah, sometimes you get unlucky and it breaks. Other times you get lucky and it doesn't break. And overall iPhones and smartphones in general are way more durable than they were five years ago. Um, you know, stuff like the ceramic shield front glass really does help yeah. prevent against mm-hmm. breaks and stuff. Um, and the overall rigidity of the phones are pretty good. Uh, I I think if you want to be, again, you know, like, I, I like Jerry Rogers' editing video. I was waiting for it to see what oh, happens because yeah. this mm-hmm. is like the first year of a design change. You know, it's like interesting to see what's different. Um, the drop test two and stuff like so it's not like a, a it's not like a criticism it's just like you know he only gets one phone to try and you yeah. know if you'll get unlucky and you bend it and it cracks you can't you can't definitively say that the pro max design is now flawed right and it, it just so happened that his did and you know he's tested the exact same thing with previous iphones and it hasn't happened before um so you can't just like take it as like oh point blank the, the pro max is going to crack right but it is an interesting data point that you, you got it to happen when previous models didn't I think on the drop testing, obviously a lot of um, YouTubers do drop tests and stuff. And there's a decent number of them on the internet, right? You know, Pro 14 series, 15 series. It does seem that the 15 series glass shatters, cracks, spider webs quicker than the 14 Pros do. Again, mm-hmm. these aren't, you know, they're not scientifically controlled testing. But if you watch 10 videos and in eight of them, the, the, the 15 Pro gets more damage than the 14 Pro, you can make some judgment, right? Um, at least anecdotally. I think the Pro, the 15 series, is probably slightly less durable to dropping than the previous year. But I think that's more because the previous year was like exceptionally durable. 
rather than like the 15 being out of line with early years for whatever reason the, yeah. the 14 series last year was super super resistant to cracking or breaking um it was just you know super solid uh i think the 15 pro is perfectly fine you know everybody's daily use they're not going to have it break you can use it comfortably i would still put cases on phones i put the case on the 14 series right like it's just that's what you should do but it doesn't seem out of line i think this is you know apple's not going to need to do a hardware change for future revisions of the 15 this just this is within within the um boundaries within the expected range so that's fine it was just an interesting little phenomenon and it's really easy for the one the five second clip of you know, Jerry Ego thing bending the phone at cracking to go super viral on TikTok and wherever. Oh, else. I saw so it so spread, many right? times. It's just what happens. Yeah, saw it so many times on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I'd say Bengate not really a problem. It was just interesting results. The overheating situation was a decent issue that got super exploded into the press, and Apple responded pretty well. I would say so. There's your gate update for the 15 series. More eventful than last year for sure. Yeah. I just want to point out to Sam Cole of Apple Track, who published, I think, the first drop test video. He was first because he flew all the way to Australia to buy an iPhone 15 Pro, which is, that's dedication. Maybe he was already planning on a holiday. I don't know. But. I don't think, based on what I heard, I don't think that he didn't tell anybody <laughs> he was doing it. It was him and Luke Miani, I think, flew over there. Yeah. I know that. They were just dedicated to being first, which maybe we should do that next year, Mayo. We can. <laughs> you want to pay on, for it? I'll do it. No, hop on your private jet, wear our Vision <laughs> Pros on the plane, and then be first in line. We'll just we'll just do it in augmented reality. We'll drop it yeah. first in AR and see what happens. Yeah. We'll do no. Do we get, get to do download the, the AR model that Apple releases from the yeah. website and drop them. <laughs> see what yes. chaos ensues. Who's going to be the first to do a drop test of Vision Pro? Because if that thing falls off your face or something, you want to know. Like, you want to know if People it's going to crack. That, yeah. If you if you're running around in AR and you accidentally bang into the wall, how many times can you can you hit a wall before the screen the glass breaks? Yeah, it's coming I'm, early next year. We'll have all of that stuff. Trip I'm, over the power cable. I'm sure a million different gates for the first generation yeah. <laughs> Apple headset that we cannot imagine at all right now. Happy Hour this week is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality, pre-portioned ingredients to your door with easy-to-follow recipe instructions so that you can make delicious meals. Sign up now at hellofresh.com slash 50happyhour and use promo code 50happyhour for 50% off plus free shipping. Do you fall into a rut of eating the same food week in, week out? We are all always strained in the busy schedule that is daily life, but don't let that impact your meals. Keep mealtime exciting and fresh with HelloFresh. Choose from 40 weekly recipes that suit your lifestyle with a whole new menu of recipes for the full season and their quick and easy range makes whipping up a delicious home-cooked dinner actually doable with simple step-by-step recipe cards. HelloFresh saves you time on the usual laborious process of the grocery shop, delivering farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes right to your door. And when you're in a pinch, their 15-minute meals take less time to prepare and cook than getting takeaway. And quality is HelloFresh's priority. Ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days so you know that they're fresh. Now, Chance, I know HelloFresh sent you some recipes to try. So how did you find it? They sent me crispy buffalo chicken, Gouda burgers, and pork meatloafs. And I think as with every HelloFresh experience I've had, it was very good, very tasty, very quick and easy to prepare. I think one of the things about HelloFresh that I love most is their sauces. 
because they ju- in the box with the ingredients themselves, you get sauces and ingredients to make special sauces with detailed instructions on how to do it. And those sauces are by far one of the best things about making a HelloFresh meal and making something that's different than what you can make with just ingredients you might buy at a grocery store then not really know how to season, not really know what sauces to use. HelloFresh just gives you everything right in the box with clear instructions on how to put it all together. I think the Gouda burgers in particular were pretty good. I know my wife agreed with me. So yeah, I was impressed. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50 happy hour and use promo code 50 happy hour for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50 happy hour for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring the show. So we have a whole bunch of stories over the past couple weeks about Apple's search deal with Google through which Google pays Apple. Do we know the, I don't think we know the exact number, but it's. The the exact number is private, but it is somewhere in the range of six to 10 billion a year. And it's based off revenue share. So if Apple sends people to Google search, they're incentivized to do so because they get money out of it. Um, the that's the agreement that's that's the part of the agreement that's definitely known to be public is that it's a it was written in a way that benefited both parties i.e google yeah. like apple had the freedom to implement features however they wanted but google knew that you know apple's monetarily incentivized to basically push you to google so when apple does add features like in spotlight search where they add you know direct links now that are that, that avoid going to a google search engine or the browser entirely and they just take you to the result um in the back of its mind, Google knows that they're not going to do that too much because then they won't get any money out of them. But yeah, it comes to somewhere between six to ten billion. A lot of the estimates put it about eight billion mm-hmm. a year. So the Department of Justice is in the middle of an antitrust lawsuit against Google about their dominance in the search industry. And one of the key parts of this investigation is that deal between Apple and Google. So over the past two weeks, we've seen testimonies from Apple's AI machine learning boss, John Giannandria, Eddie Q, a whole bunch of people from Microsoft, including Satya Nadella, people at DuckDuckGo, and all kinds of other search engine and industry people. One thing I find funny about this is Apple is not named as a party in the lawsuit. Like, they're not being investigated by the DOJ. Google is being investigated by the DOJ. But Apple seems pretty grumpy about the amount of stuff they've had to do as part of this case. Well, and they're grumpy the case came to trial because well, yeah, they're eight too. billion dollars of, of of incomes at risk. You know, yeah, the services but... bu- the services business could face its biggest decline ever if they if they end up having to cancel on this deal. Uh, so they they want it to not you know they want the justice case to be dismissed as much as Google does. And Apple pushed pretty hard to meet to get eddie q and john g and andrea out of their testimonies they said it wasn't necessary they said we've handed over hundreds of thousands of documents leave us alone that didn't work so i think eddie q's testimony was pretty interesting he kind of detailed how google and apple renegotiated their search deal in 2016 but one thing i learned through this testimony and then through microsoft's testimony is that also around this time Microsoft was also talking to Apple about making Bing the default search engine. And in 2016, Apple was still using Bing to power search results from Siri and Spotlight Search. So Microsoft was like, let's just expand upon this. 
you know, we'll pay you to like, let's make Bing the default search engine. But instead, Apple renewed their deal with Google and actually pulled Bing altogether. Now, Google is used to power Siri and Spotlight search. So Microsoft really got the short end of the stick on that one. Yeah, because obviously for Safari, it's just about the default engine, right? Right. You can go yeah. into settings and pick a different one and Google's the default. For Siri, there's no setting. It's just forced to whatever Apple decides at the yeah. time. And at the moment, it's Google. Then Bloomberg reported in that in 2020, Microsoft actually held preliminary talks with Apple about selling Bing. So this would have seen Apple take over Bing, probably rebrand it and use it for search in Safari, Spotlight, and Siri. But these talks never really re- went anywhere. And timing-wise, Apple renewed the Google deal in 2021. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so like every time they have a it, chat with them, you know... It, This is the argument the Justice Department is trying to bring, is that basically Apple is never going to um, cut ties with Google because they pay them too much money. So every time the the deal comes around, Apple, yeah, they talk to all these other parties like DuckDuckGo and Bing, but really they're just just using it as a negotiating tactic to strong-arm Google into giving them a higher percentage. Then what else came out through this? So Microsoft testified that they try to make Bing the default on Apple platforms every year, and Apple resists. And then this is the thing, right? Yeah, is it, it's is it the money or is it because Google's the best? So Eddie Q through his testimony wants you lead, would lead you to believe that it's because Google is the best, and that and there is a ring of truth to that, right? It's like even yeah, if, imagine I mean, there was no money on the table at all, Apple would probably pick Google, you know, because <laughs> like that's what people want. People want Google search. This this whole arrangement though is a lot more treacherous from Apple's perspective if the default we were talking about was bing right like imagine if it was the other way around and like you know microsoft was dominant with bing like they were with internet explorer and google was the one complaining that they could never get inroads because you know apple's just taking microsoft money um blood money every single year instead but google's clearly the better product and they can't make in they can't make headway uh so it's you know apple's kind of seen as like the good angel here because you know ultimately what they're fighting for is google and I think if tomorrow you put Bing on everybody's phones instead, people would be upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. the you know, it's, it's it has so many calories with the Apple Maps, Google Maps transition back in 2012, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, Google was the default and then Apple came along and said, no, we're going to be the default now. And they got pummeled for it because they were worse, right? They came out the gate being strictly worse. And this situation is like that, except... Apple's getting loads of money for not changing the default. Yeah. So, you know, the incentive, the financial incentives are very perverse there. Um, it's equally on the other side of the case, you can see that like Microsoft and Google keep bringing up examples of, uh, sorry, it's Google specifically brings up examples where Microsoft tried to make Internet Explorer dominant in, in, in browsers by making it the default on Windows for so many years. And what happened was people chose Chrome eventually because Chrome was a better product and it won out. And yeah. even on even on Edge today on, on Windows, Bing is the default search engine. But most people that use Edge use Google. So like they're trying to so Google's trying to say, look, yeah, regardless of whatever deals we've got going, people still pick what's best and what's best happens to be us. So there's no anti competitiveness here. Apple's just choosing the best the best thing. Uh, and you know, a judge will make a decision one way or other on that. But you can kind of see both sides. But mm-hmm. you do kind of get the feeling that money is a big factor here. Like, $8 billion a year is a lot of money. The, the options for Apple are they could go to their own search engine system 
and cut out the middleman entirely because if eight billion is a revenue share, that means there's more than eight billion in ad revenue somewhere else, right? That, App- yeah. that Google's collecting. So Apple could theoretically make its own search engine. And Bloomberg reported um, this week that you know G and J's team has been working on this Pegasus project, right? That um, could be you know maybe form the foundations of an apple search engine and then apple could show its search engine results by default in safari and show its ads alongside it boosting its ad business and eventually bringing in more than the eight billion dollars a year it currently gets from google but there's huge risk there that it backfires and everybody Mm -hmm. hates it and right now they can just kind of sit pretty collecting free money every single year so the incentives for apple to do that are you know it's a big wall to climb and I'm, i'm sure the maps debacle is like you know just sits in the head like eddie q sits there and the year comes and it's like <laughs> are we going to change from google well we're getting paid a load of money to not change and people like google so like why would we it's 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 hard to see the path there uh you know apple would have to be super confident in their search engine technology to supplant google because they don't want a repeat of apple maps apple maps was one of the biggest pr blunders in their entire the last decade right People still talk about Apple Maps being terrible, even though now it's quite good. So like yeah. those things last forever. And and I'd say search is almost more important than maps in many ways. So like they can't mess it up. Um and I think in some ways it's kind of good because if they if they prioritize revenue over everything, they would do their own search engine because they collect all the money from it, even if the search results weren't as high a quality. And that was Q's argument about Bing. And Gina Gina and Andrea said this as well. Like supposedly they held talks about DuckDuckGo replacing Google for private browsing mode only. And mm-hmm. so you'd have default you'd have default Safari search still use Google, but if you're in private browsing mode, it would go to DuckDuckGo. And he said that was never really um, on the table as a serious proposition, even though we met with DuckDuckGo many times. Uh, we never, if, if we were going ahead with that, I would have forced Apple to do more due diligence. He specifically mentioned that a lot of DuckDuckGo research results are powered by Bing, and that must mean there's data yeah. sharing with Microsoft going on. So is it really, you know, is the assumption of privacy really there? And um, that was his like argument to the court. And they so they said that's one of the reasons why they made change. He said they did have more serious conversations about the Bing deal, right? Maybe either buying Bing outright or just having Bing as the default, maybe with an Apple um, white-labeled branding on it. And part of those mm-hmm. negotiations that has been revealed in the courts is that Microsoft was really trying to get Apple to take Bing, so much so they were offering an even higher percentage of revenue share yeah. than what they get from the google deal so like microsoft and adela was like we've tried everything you know we we, we were going to invest five billion dollars into making bing better we were going to have tell our, tell our board that we were going to have a negative investment here for the short term because we just want to get this deal over the line we're going to give apple the best financial terms they've ever seen and they still wouldn't take us so like that's that's their position um so it's very very interesting uh but Ultimately, I think money money really talks here, and Google's really good. And right now, if I was Eddie Q, probably hard to see why you would change your mind and go somewhere else. I mean, if the if the Justice Department do find that the deal is unlawful, then it maybe gives Apple more incentive to go to somebody else because they can't get the same lucrative financial terms anymore. And they have revenue sharing deals in place with Microsoft and DuckDuckGo and Yahoo and. What's the other one? Ecosia or whatever. Mm, mm. But presumably the deal with Google is just far more lucrative. Yeah, I, I mean, think... I don't know what percentages each each yeah. search engine gets, but obviously Google, you know, people don't change from the default. That's the heart of this trial, right? Like, so they get most of the money from Google because Google's there. 
and people like using Google. <laughs> so, and I presume Google pays extra because they're the default choice rather than just oh, yeah. being mm-hmm. the second or third choice in the list. Yeah. One thing that the judge in this case has pointed out quite a bit is that Apple could just ask people when they're setting up a new iPhone or iPad or Mac which search engine. Which happens want. on Windows on desktop. Yeah. And Eddie Q was like, no, we keep the setup process as streamlined as possible. Doing this, putting he said, putting a bunch of names of search engines nobody's heard of during the setup process would just confuse them and make them mad. That seems like a bit of a stretch to me because Apple already asks you so many questions when you set up a new iPhone. Q tries to make it seem like a super streamlined, takes you 30 seconds process, but that's just not the case. And as part of their argument, the judge walked Eddie Q through the process of setting up a new iPhone and like counting along with how many screens there were. <laughs> and <laughs> they're like, you can just add a search screen right here. And it, Eddie Q was just vehemently against it. And then the judge said, is this allowed as part of your current agreement with Google? And Eddie Q just goes, no, it's not. So they, A, he says he's very much against it, but B, also the money from the Google deal means they can't do that per their contract with Google. I mean, it'd be a pretty weak contract if they could just give people options yeah. when they're paying to be the default. <laughs> so um, it makes sense. I mean, that doesn't surprise me, but yeah, that, taking the high road of of saying it's about the user experience is a little a little shady. Yeah, that, Apple doesn't want government entities forcing them to put stuff on the phone, regardless of what it is, right? So they're going to resist that, regardless of whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, whether they have one setup screen or five hundred, right? Like. You know, you you set precedents for governments to be like, well, you can put a screen here, then everyone will want the screen. So yeah. I can kind of understand that side of the argument. Um, and I believe there's plenty of research that shows that the ballot, the EU search engine ballot or browser ballot that happened on Windows, you know, in the early 2000s as mm-hmm. a result of and Internet Explorer was complete failure and it didn't really change mm. people's attitudes or which browsers they picked at all. It was just a pain during setup. So I, I can get the Q argument there, but obviously, yeah. you know, underneath it all is the money right and it's like i i think you know if bing was a better brand was a better search engine or like 90 percent was good they would probably pay apple the exact same amount of money and so apple would probably switch you know but as it stands it's like yeah there isn't really a, a second best choice and the google deal is very lucrative so it's like you know apple does care about user experience of course they do but they also care about money they're a money-making business and the services division you know services does about 20 billion quarterly in revenue right eight billion is like half of one whole quarter so like you know an eighth of the entire year is just this deal like that's how important it is um and but i think it is true that if they did have to switch from google to somebody else they could probably find either by you know doing their own advertising or by negotiating with somebody else similarly lucrative terms because you know placement on iphone's default search is really really you know impactful so money wise on that basis they can probably um they probably adjust and find something that's almost as good, right? Like either as mm-hmm. good or almost as good. Uh, but as it stands in the here and now, it's like, well, we basically get paid a load of money and we're you and to use the best search engine that most people like you go to people on the street, do you want this browser, this browser, this browser? Oh, sorry, this engine this search engine, this search engine, this search engine. Everybody is picking Google. It's just the tr- it's just the truth. So if you can make if you can give customers what they want and get paid eight billion dollars for it, like, yeah. <laughs> What is the, you know, I wouldn't be, I'd be sleeping happy if that was my choice. <laughs> really, it comes down to whether the DOJ finds against or for, right? That That's what happens next. What do you think about the privacy argument to this? 
because that's another thing the judges focused on quite a bit. They even pulled up like emails that Apple handed over as part of the process where Eddie Q and other Apple executives railed against Google's privacy policies. They showed headlines saying that Android is just a massive tracking device. And they referenced the infamous Eric Schmidt quote where he said, the Google policy on a lot of things is to get right up to the creepy line and not cross it. The judge obviously was trying to emphasize the point that Apple's always preaching privacy. Privacy is a fundamental human right. So does having Google as the default search engine counteract that narrative? And Eddie Q's one response was that one of the terms that they put in the agreement with Google is that iPhone users could perform searches without signing in to a Google account, which is like, yeah, you can do that. But also for one, there's a gigantic banner at the bottom of the page asking you to sign in to a Google account. And they can collect information without you being signed in. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They can tie you all together regardless of whether you're signed in. Do you think the... And if Apple did switch to its own search engine, I'm sure the the bar of privacy would be higher, right? So there's a feature win if they did switch their own service. Uh, I don't think you can really say that like... Right, so all four options in that list of current of search engines that you can choose from Safari... I think they're all about the same on privacy as anybody else because they'll make money through advertising, right? Maybe yeah. don't go slightly better, but still, they're gonna—they're all gonna make money through advertising one way or the other. And the best way to make money through advertising is to, you know, collect user profiles and do and do demographics targeting. So it's not a huge. I mean, like, I know it is a point that like undermines the the argument, but like. I don't really think that matters to the case at hand of whether it's unlawful or not. Like, if Google was 100% yeah. private, would it suddenly be lawful? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of a sideshow, I would I would argue. Like, if 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 the Google deal, if Google was the most was was you know the monopoly, but they happened to be good for user privacy, so it aligned perfectly with Apple's marketing vision, I think the DOJ would still be upset about the arrangement, right? They would still bring the crate. They would still bring the yeah. case. So it's kind of like a side like jab rather than like actually critical. Um, but it is true, but it's no different than like, you know, you can say app store search ads are under my Apple's own privacy concerns as well because they collect more yeah. data than they would if they didn't do them. So, you know, there's plenty of places where Apple's marketing doesn't match up to the reality of the product, uh, and but there's nothing illegal about that, you know. The Pegasus thing, the Pegasus search project that Google, that Bloomberg reported on, Bloomberg said that Apple plans to deploy Pegasus to the App Store sometime soon as kind of an overhauled search engine for that. But the bar for that is so low because App Store yeah. search is so bad. Pegasus can be better than what's in the App Store easily, but Pegasus cannot be better than Google search. And also the name Pegasus, the code name is just hilarious because that's also like the spyware that the NGO group or whatever has to like spy on journalists and suing to, yeah. yeah, Apple's suing them over, exactly, yeah. I wonder, though, if Pegasus is like the hedge against something happening with this Google deal and they have to frantically implement their own thing. Okay, well, they... the Pegasus technology also serves stuff like Syrian Spotlight, right? So yes, like when you see it, those it, results there, that's powered by that or a predecessor of it, right? So building that search technology out is... AA is a just helping Apple's other products, and I think when you do, you know, when you ask um, Siri for something and it comes up with like a web result, but it doesn't just give you a list; it like quotes it from the web yeah. page. Mm-hmm. That's like a from the same group that makes Pegasus, basically, is uh, where that feature comes okay. from. Um, so, a it's just part of that group. B, I'm sure Tim Cook and executive team were like. 
guys, we need to like at least try and make a search engine so that Google can't ring us for for financial terms because if they have a if they have a somewhat meaningful competitor, they can get better terms out of the Google negotiation, right? So it probably makes sense for the profitable for them to make it even if they never ship it as an actual search engine. And three, it's there that yeah, if the whole thing blows up, they can ship their own. But I would be very surprised if it came down to like this deal explodes and the deal just says the only solution Apple's allowed to do now is to make their own search engine. Like that is yeah. such an infringement of, of requirement that it's like insane. What it would probably be is you must show a choice of options the first time you use Safari, right? So you can choose from Google, Bing or DuckDuckGo or whatever and Apple can still make money because they can like, I don't know, negotiate who gets to be the num- result number one versus result number four or something. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that would probably be how it plays out if it really goes that way. There's no way they're going to say, well... This, this deal is illegal, so you can't use any search engine apart from your own. Because that's like, you know, you can't force a company to make their own search engine just because they make a phone, you know? Like, that's just right. insane. So, um, yeah, Pegasus will plod along. At least it's a, a bargaining tactic for Apple to make more money out of the search deal with whoever they, they strike it with. Uh, but I think, ultimately, if the DOJ is like, you know, wins and forces, uh, says it's unlawful, you'll get a, you'll get a choice of options somewhere and apple will make slightly less than eight billion dollars a year but they'll still make a fair amount of many billions from search somehow the ultimate bargaining chip in this based on what we've heard through this trial is microsoft apple just keeps going like yeah microsoft will have a couple chats we'll talk to you and then just immediately moves on and goes back to google but presumably they go to google and say yeah we're having talks with microsoft yeah <laughs> we're we're thinking about using Microsoft if you don't give us two more two extra percent of the ad revenue. And you, you, you see Tim and uh, Sachet having dinner last night. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're there. We're there. And really, for Apple, it's best if Bing exists, but it's exactly. still worse. Yeah, right. Like exists, but if if Bing was as good, the legal argument would be harder to make because then they could say, "Well, you're only picking Google because of the money." But at least now they can make the feature argument too. Uh, so, yeah, and and that's probably why Apple made Bing in you know. Putting Bing in Siri back in the day was probably a negotiation tactic, yeah. ultimately. It probably was, because you wouldn't pick Bing normally. It just wouldn't happen. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, these on this level, financial money is, you know, there's always money somewhere along the line. I'm assuming you have Google as your default on everything. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Do you not? Oh, I do. I do. Okay, yeah. I'm just always surprised when we post things about this trial and people are like, yeah, I've been using DuckDuckGo for years and it's great. But our audience is not a great representation yeah. of the it's public. not representative yeah google's like 90 percent plus of overall search usage maybe it will be irrelevant when um ai search takes over with machine learning and yeah. um, generative ai uh, open ai uh, you know then who cares about a search engine or something but that's still a ways off that's that's a lovely comment when you work for a web publisher that's <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm only being realistic I'm yeah not, i don't necessarily like it one thing I was thinking, though, is that if Apple did create a search engine that was good and it put pressure on Google to be better, because right now Google knows that it has so much power and it knows that it can change the algorithms for its search results on a whim. And web publishers like us will scramble to adapt and scramble to adopt the new best practices and all of that. And Google doesn't face any consequences because they're dominant. But if Apple had something available and apple was investing in this because app when apple enters a market you see other companies kind of scramble a little bit would google have to become more conscious conscious of its behavior and what it was doing i mean the ai the ai revolution 
is putting Google's back up, right? Like Bing has yeah. had the most relevancy it's ever had with Microsoft Bing AI, right? Like Bing Chat, whatever you want to call it. Like they beat Google to the punt. They they beat Google there, and so Google's you know in a way playing second fiddle at least for you know the at least for twenty twenty three, right? Like OpenAI and Bing have dominated the conversation. Uh, where that's translated into adoption is a different matter, but. You know, Google can't sleep on its laurels forever. Like Apple's only one, you know. Yeah. They don't make. You know, what's Google's revenue per year? It's hundreds of billions, right? Like, like the eight billion of Apple's. You know, is is it's a big slice, but it's not the whole company. So even if like I don't agree that just because Google has the Apple deal, they can just like sit pretty and do nothing. Like, it's nice that you've got that security, but it's not like going to keep your whole business alive. I think more than anything, I would just love to see what Apple does for like search engine optimization. And because the classic example of this with Google is you search for a recipe and the algorithm favors longer posts. So you get the 2000 word essay about why this person loves the recipe. And then the recipe is all the way at the bottom. And that's an area where Google has no incentive to change. They like that because longer stories show more ads. Ads are from AdSense. It's all intermixed together. And I would. Well, why don't be... you look at the front page of the App Store? Well, yeah, obviously. There's a but... nice ad. Let's do a search. There's ads... a nice ad. Ads aren't the problem, though. Well, they, well they're partially the ads pervert the, problem. the incentives of the search results, though, don't they? Like, But Google has the search results, and then they also have an incentive on the other end because they're serving the dominant number of ads on websites through AdSense. True. Apple's not going to start selling web ads, presumably. Well, maybe. We don't know. They might. <laughs> yeah, they might, but... <laughs> Don't do anything. Which is another place, like, sure, Apple should do that because Google has, that's another thing Google's being investigated for is their domination in online advertising. Short term, I'd be interested to see whether we notice any improvement in App Store search if they are transitioning to this new platform. Because if if there's a notable change there, that's a good sign, even if it's just for the App Store product. But if if that's a good sign of progress, then, you know, at least it makes the idea of the Apple search engine more tangible. Remember when Threads launched and you could only find it in App Store search if you searched threads comma and instagram app and incredible absolutely incredible pegasus doesn't have to be that much better to be better we are also sponsored this week by pillow pillow is the best sleep tracker app for your apple watch iphone or ipad to help you uncover the scientifically proven benefits of good sleep sleep better with pillow your smart sleep assistant pillow analyzes your sleep cycles automatically using your apple watch or if you don't have a watch you can place your iphone or ipad on the mattress near your pillow and pillow app will automatically detect and analyze your sleep patterns and you can review last night's sleep report right on your watch with heart rate analysis and more pillow uses an advanced sleep cycle analysis algorithm based on the latest scientific findings in sleep research You can view detailed heart rate graphs and a sleep stage diagram that shows how you transition from being awake to in REM, light sleep and deep sleep stages. And Pillow integrates with the Apple Health app to update your sleep metrics in the health database too. You can even use Pillow as a smart alarm clock that aims to wake you up at a time when you're in the lightest possible sleep stage so you can start your day fresh and relaxed. Record record noises of the night so you can hear things like snoring, sleep apnea and sleep talking. Simply put, Pillow is the best sleep tracker for your Apple Watch, iPhone and iPad. Find out more at Pillow.app. That's P-I-L-L-O-W dot app. Pillow. Sleeping better made simple. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring 
the show. So we have iOS 17.1 beta 2, watchOS 10.1 beta 2. The big change here for you, Mayo, is double tap on your fancy new Apple Watch Series 9. How is it? What do you think of it? It's pretty nice. It's nice. Look, it's not going to be... I think it's more than a gimmick, right? Like, oh, yeah. when when the feature came out, I, like, tweeted some videos, and one of the videos is me, like, sitting on the sofa, and then I, like, double-tapped, and it paused the TV. I'm probably not going to do that ever again. That was just a fun video, you know? Like That was, was cool, though. That was one it of was the better cool, use cases. It was cool, but I don't know if it'll come up too much uh, versus pressing the button on the remote or something. Uh, well, maybe it will, but it was cool. Like, it looked cool. <laughs> uh, that's why I did the video of it, but, like, I feel like that's more in the gimmicky territory, the novelty territory. Day-to-day where it's going to come into use is when you're like walking around and you get a text message and you want to reply, but you know, you could, I guess, activate Siri and reply hands-free, but it's a it's a bit nice if you can just do a double tap. It opens the text box and then you can just start talking your dictation. Or a notification comes in, you just want to dismiss it. Now you can just double tap your fingers together and it goes away. It's them to bring your whole other arm over to be able to control your watch. Because like you can easily glance at your watch, but if there's something there and you just want to dismiss or accept, it's a bit it's you know, it's a bit of a pain to have to bring your whole other hand over to be able to touch the screen. And especially and that's if your hand's not occupied, if you're holding something or if you're doing something with your hand, it's even more useful to be able to do at least some limited actions one handed. You know, the nose tap phenomenon is a thing right and so in some cases where you used to have to tap with your nose now you can just tap with your two fingers and you know with one hand so i do think it's not like just a gimmick is it enough of a feature to make you like upgrade to a series 9 watch on its own of course not it's a nice incremental improvement uh it will come in useful uh, is the truth though it's not just a like a like a stupid thing that they showed in the video and you're never going to do it again i will use it and in fact i've used it in the day in you know the 24 hours since the bait has been installed i was unloading shopping today you text me i looked at the screen of the watch there's the notification you can tap your fingers together it automatically selects the text box to reply right dictate my reply and then you double tap again and it, and it presses the send button it's nice you know i carried yeah. on doing what i was doing i talked i tapped twice and then I got on with my day. If you were doing that before, you'd have to like, you know, get your other hand over somehow to click the text box. Then you'd have to dictate. Then you'd have to get your hand back again to click the send button. Like just being able to take off some of that friction is really, really nice. Uh, on the clock face, if you double tap, it opens the widgets view. You know, that new thing as if you were sli- swiping up from the bottom so you can see your mm-hmm. stack of widgets in the smart stack. Uh like that's kind of cool too, because I hadn't really been using the smart stack too much on WatchOS 10. Uh, partly because like when you glance at your watch you don't see it right like you have to get your hand over and swipe up but now you can just kind of do a light tap gesture and it can show you that screen instead so there's a chance i might actually use that view more often uh, and there's some options uh you by default it scrolls the stack so if you double tap it shows the stack you tap again it keeps going downwards but you can actually change it to a select action and what that does is it selects the first widget after the widgets stack has been shown. Oh, so okay. so if you have um now playing like the so the you know the smart stack is quote unquote smart and it intelligently orders and ranks the widgets. So in many cases the most the widget you really care about is the first one. And so if you're playing music or there's um you know a homepod nearby playing music, it will put the now playing widget for that content for that media at the top of the stack. And what is the button on that widget? It's play pause. So if you have the select action you show the widget smart stack, you double tap, it will pause, it will press the pause button on the widget. So that's kind of useful. You yeah, know, that's right cool. now there's we- there's weather there. So, you know, I look at the smart stack, there's weather. 
uh, you get the summary in the little card in the little widget card but if i want to see a full weather you know now i just double tap and it opens the weather app directly pretty useful the if you get a notification you know like when it, it taps and you look at it you can read the whole notification because if, if it's one screen and it just has the dismiss button at the bottom you can just tap and it will dismiss if it's longer so you know there's like a couple pages worth so you'd have to scroll through page screenfuls of content if you double tap on the notification it just scrolls till it gets to the bottom to where the dismiss button is mm. pretty useful if someone sends you a long text message you know and you're like lazing back or whatever you just double tap a couple of times scroll through read the message then you can decide whether you want to reply or not the, the one problem or one of the problems i've had initially is that the scroll down feels pretty elegant in the when you get a notification or when you're on the smart stack uh, but it doesn't. The scrolling doesn't work elsewhere in the system. I haven't been able to find anywhere else where you can scroll through a list. So if you're on the Messages app, not in a message, but you're just on the main list, right? So it just shows your list of conversations. If you double tap there, nothing happens. Well, it shows a little icon where the the double tap icon like um, shakes left and right. You know, like how you've incorrectly typed in your password on the Mac. You know, it shakes the box. It does that animation to show that there's nothing you can do here. But mm-hmm. if you've just come for a notification where you've been to scroll down, it feels a bit incongruous that you can't scroll on the messages list. So that's kind of annoying. But otherwise, it, it generally works where you expect it to. You know, if, if a time is running, you double tap, it stops the timer. If an alarm's going, you double tap, it silences the alarm. That's where I think it's going to be most useful. Because, like, you know, I set in a timer my voice, and now when the timer goes off, I can just stop my wrist vibrating by looking at it and double tapping instead of having to bring my whole hand over to click it. Uh, yeah. I think it will come in useful. What about the story here with third-party apps? Because I know that there's not an API. There is no story whatsoever. So, for instance, if you're listening to a podcast in Overcast, and the Overcast now playing interface is on the screen, you can't double-tap there to pause. When, when you say Overcast now playing interface, do you mean the system now playing app that no. is showing Overcast, or do you mean the Overcast app? The Overcast app. Nothing will happen. That's kind of lame. Like, yeah. There's no way I don't know for, why. There is no API yeah. support for double tap at all and it doesn't seem like it would be that complicated for them to add a way to like for an app developer to just mark which is the double right, tap button yeah. on this current screen because what happens is it literally presses the button for you in if in as a 99 approximation in most of the apple apps you double tap it highlights the button that you would otherwise tap your finger for a, a second and then it does press the button so it doesn't seem like something that couldn't be very easily translated into a developer API where they can just annotate a button on the screen to be this is the double tap action. But at least of 10.1, there is no API support whatsoever. So if you open any third-party app and try and double tap, you just get the error, the error uh, UI. You know my Apple Watch Ultra, the first generation, also has double tap? Could you say it's accessible to you? It is accessible to me. I finally went in and set it up after seeing some of your videos showing off proper double tap and i think it works almost just as well it's missing some of like the intelligence features of finding that primary button but for 99 percent of the things i've tried to do with it it works like when a notification comes in and i want to dismiss it i just double tap and it goes away there's also all kinds of other gestures you can do and you could do this too but in hand gestures i have it set to like a single tap will press the crown it's like, and they call it pinch, right? In yeah, pinch. Thing. So if people are confused about how you can get double tap on an older watch, for a while now, there's been accessibility controls where you can do very similar gestures to double tap and yes. even other gestures like your whole hand clench um, in accessibility settings. Uh, the, which, and the double pinch mode is 
in many cases very very similar to what would happen uh with actual double tap feature you don't get the blue icon and you don't get some of the animation right and like it comes up slightly differently and some screens don't work exactly the same way but as a rough approximation it's a similar feature but you do get a little like, pop you do get a little pop-up that you do get a pop-up yeah what, what um, will happen on that page if you double double pinch and there's yeah, two it's different similar. it's not identical but it's very no. similar yeah and there's two different aspects to this too there's a separate accessibility feature called quick actions which is just when you double tap and it actually says double tap not double pinch it will do the whatever little the little pop-up in that app tells you it'll do or you can go into assistive touch and configure more advanced hand gestures which again like i have there's a feature called dynamic which is scrolling so i have it set to like clench my hand slightly and it scrolls down and if you reach the bottom of what you're scrolling through it starts to scroll back up and the main reason i have this is for the watch face where I'm looking at the watch face and I clinch and it scroll, scrolls down and shows me the smart stack widget stuff. And then I can single tap to act as if I'm pressing the crown and go back to the watch face. It's definitely not the same as double tap like you have, but I, this is one of the many reasons why you shouldn't upgrade from like an ultra one to an ultra two if you're only looking for double tap. Yeah, they obviously made the accessibility feature and then we're like, we can productize this, you know, make make the ui slightly cleaner and slightly nicer uh audit all of the system apps for where it makes sense to give an action and incre- improve the algorithms a bit so detection is better so we can have this on by default rather than being a you know excessive assistive touch like opt-in um but the kernel of the feature is the same so if you can do that on your current watch now and you think it's cool very similar to what you can do with double tap uh, the one thing I will say is there's been some like meta commentary that pe- that Apple's like training people for the Vision Pro because it's like the same gesture in that you put your two fingers uh, together. Yeah. But the Vision Pro, right, is just a single tap. It's not a double tap. Right. Select. Yeah. I think double tap does some things, but the primary input is single tap. Yeah. Yeah. The reason it's a ta- it's a tap gesture on the watch is not to train people with Vision Pro. It's just what they could find that they could detect with the sensors, right? Like. I'm sure if they'd if 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 they if the feature was ideal, you wouldn't have to double tap. You'd only have to single tap. But the Which, reason you have to double tap is because they're eliminating the false positives of you accidentally just moving your hand around and it doing something. And, and it's through, not it's not prescriptive about which finger you can do. Middle finger, you could do third finger. Basically, as long as your thumb's moving and seem to be like touching something else and going out again, that I got that to activate. You can even do the the full hand clench. Obviously, it'll only activate the double tap. It would just it would just recognize mm-hmm. it as a double tap yeah. too. So it's not like specifically looking for index finger and thumb. You can basically do any hand gesture that remotely sees your thumb touch something else, and then go back out again twice. And the accessibility option does have the single tap setting, and I can say that I know exactly why Apple made it a double tap because if it's it's not as good at recognizing the single tap, and there's a lot of false positives. So double tap was definitely definitely the right call for the gesture here. But yeah, I guess I'll check in in a month or so, but I think I'm going to use this. Like, not not just as a novelty. I think it will become a thing that you do on the watch. You should go into the accessibility stuff and see what you think of some of the other options and see if they can be useful in addition to double tap and then report back to us. I'll give it a go. Something else you found in iOS 17.1 is that the Photo Shuffle option on the lock screen for your wallpaper you can now 
choose specific albums. Is that right? Yeah, so before it was Apple trying to be intelligent about it, so they would give you three options. They would give you people, pets, and landscapes, or nature, I think, as it's labeled. And so they would look at your entire photo library and find faces, pets, and you know landscapes that they think would look nice on your lock screen. And so you could pick of those categories, one or two or three or all of them. And if you pick the people category, you could choose individual faces, like, you know, based on your library. So you could pick just yourself or your family or whatever. And then it would algorithmically choose from that set and shuffle them on your lock screen. Unfortunately, the automatic um, algorithms don't really satisfy me or I think a lot of people because they just, you know, this just not the same as being able to pick the photos that you want. It's like, it picks photos from 10 years ago or five years ago on, you know, yesterday. It's like, people don't really want that. They want to be able to choose, you know, a subset of images that just rotates in a shuffle on their lock screen and just cycles through. And with iOS 17.1, they have delivered that. So you can choose album and then you just pick the album. So I pick the favorites album, you know, the one where you heart stuff, like just the default favorites album. Mm-hmm. And so now it only picks photos from the favorites album. It still crops them using, you know, machine learning so that they're, they're nicely framed and some, and stuff. And I think it excludes some, even if they're in the album, just if, they, if it can't find a composition for the lock screen. But in general, it's way more precise than just any picture of my family from the last decade. Instead, it's just my mm-hmm. favorites. And it works and it, you know, it's nice and you can set it to change every time you tap on the screen, every time you unlock, every hour or so. It basically makes it like the photo watch face on the on the Apple Watch, which Apple has said is the most popular watch face. Well, now you can get that on the phone as well. It's nice too if you have pictures of like a certain person who, you ch- like in the previous implementation, you would choose their face, but the intelligent intelligence aspect of it would also show you pictures of maybe when that person was sick or and you didn't really want to be reminded of those specific pictures on your lock screen randomly throughout the day. So now you can create a more curated album that maybe excludes some of the more depressing or upsetting pictures that otherwise might have appeared on your lock screen. For sure. Or even just, that is obviously a huge factor. But also for like me, like I keep in my library, like almost every picture I take of somebody, right? Like, and a lot of them aren't very good. I just don't go through and really yeah. delete them. But mm-hmm. the, the photo shuffle doesn't know what's good or bad, really. So it just shows stuff where it's like, you know, I don't need to see that picture. It's just, it's, I like it being archived in my library, but I don't really need yeah. to see it surfaced on the screen. So instead, you can just pick like an album and you can put 10 photos in, 100 photos in, 1,000 photos in, and then they come to the fore on a shuffle. It's just, it's just what it, it's just a feature that should have been there when they did it when I was 16. And what I will say, even double as like a, a meta commentary on that, is I filed a radar bug report for this on june the 11th 2022 i.e just after ios 16 came out and it's a feature enhanced feature request basically is the is the bug category no commentary on it whatsoever (laughs) which is not unusual because most bug reports you file don't get any commentary at all especially feature request ones like crashes and bugs do get a bit more interest but feature requests they basically just sit there forever and even if they ship the feature the, the bug report doesn't get updated it just sits there until you delete it but this was the rare exception that disproves that because when iOS 17.1 beta came out, they sent me a notification on, on radar on feedback app saying, we have um, checked the latest seed for an update on this bug report. And I did. And indeed the feature was added. So I closed uh, the feature request from Gene. I was like, this is how the system should work. Speaking of people in the photos app, I have a test for you. Go to your photos and look at 
the faces that it's identified and tell me if you see Tim Cook in that section. I do not, but that's because I prune it. Okay. See, I see Tim Cook as his dedicated person just because over the years I've added so many random pictures. Yeah. 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 Because I'll drag him into photos to like crop it or whatever, then just never delete it. Yeah. Because by default, it just puts everybody it can find there. So even if it's like, you know, if you have like a. like a graduation photos it just puts people in the background the graduation Uh, photos down there too Mm -hmm. so i do prune mine so it's only my family basically um but yeah 100 percent tim cook and whoever else and like i think zach was in there at one time yeah yeah, i just like pop them out so if i did want zach in there for instance i don't actually know how i'd be able to put him back in uh which is a bit bit worrying but uh luckily it's i don't really care so i've just got my family in there it's like i have zach because we have a lot of actual pictures together but you've never mm. had the opportunity to cross the pond and hang out with us. So Yeah, it used any time I'd like screenshot the messages app, it'd be like yeah. there's a picture of Zach, <laughs> you know, whatever. I have for Come that same around. reason I have, you know, our old colleague Mike Beasley. Mm-hmm. He is a face in my photos app, and I've just left it there for the the joke factor of it. Random pictures of Mike Beasley from screenshots. Yeah, it's funny. And yeah, hundred percent Tim Cook would be in there if <laughs> I didn't already manually prune it. Another thing in 17.1 beta 2 is some new options for standby. So Apple's added, Apple's basically split the options for when the standby screen turns off. So now there's three different options for turn off automatically, turn off the display after 20 seconds, or never turn off the display. Previously, I think the only option was automatic. Yeah. So now if you don't like how whatever algorithm app was using for that you can have a little bit more control and those new settings are only on iphone 14 pro and iphone 15 pro so phones with an always on display yeah because previous phones you still have to tap it to wake it up basically. exactly yeah. yeah but that's a nice change but never yeah so i guess if you always want your iphone to show you just put it on never yeah and uh i did see some reddit comments on this that about um burn-in Mm-hmm. don't don't worry about it it'll be fine I, yeah I, like the, the 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 phone will do um sub pixel shifting anyway even if you put it on never uh apple wouldn't give you a never option if it was going to cause burning trust me so uh if you want to show it constantly it'll be perfectly fine you know you had your story about your tv maybe having a dead pixel I had a similar because the TV has beta rendered control yeah. center as one point yeah. pixel. Yeah, I had a similar experience with Burn In this week, where I randomly turned on my TV, went to I think it was Plex, and chose something to play, and there was like this white, this white like bar, kind of where like a pop up on an LG TV would be at the bottom, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh god, I saw it on like the all black background of the movie. And then I kept, I like went out of the interface, went out of the movie back and forth and back and forth. And I finally determined it's just some weird artifact in that particular movie in Plex. That's, That's funny. <laughs> very grateful. I was like, no, please, no burn in. It scares me more having a TV that could get burn in than having a phone that could get burn in. Yeah, I mean, the phone you replace, right? More. Yeah, exactly. And TVs, I think, are slightly more prone to it. Just because exactly. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Yeah. So don't on a TV, don't don't show uh, standby permanently. But you'll be all right on your phone. And finally, the ringtones from iOS 17 are back with iOS 17.1 beta 2. These weren't in iOS 17.1 beta 1 because, as we said last week, the build of 17.1 was before 17.0. So the timelines got a little messy there. 
but 17.1 beta 2 adds them back. They still, the new default notification sound, what it's called rebound, and it is still quiet and people are still very mad about it. They might make it louder by the time 17.1 ships, but I think this beta was literally just resyncing up with yeah. 17.0, so it's the same. Did you notice that they like changed the vibration maybe when you get a notification? Have you noticed that? I think it, you can choose the haptic, right? Yeah. Um, so if you choose synchronized, then the haptic will be different because the synchronized vibration for rebound is different to the old one, which was just called like tone. Oh, like okay. Ting or whatever it was. If you, but if you manually choose a vibration, it won't change the vibration. But yeah, okay. the synchronized vibration synchronizes to the sound, and because the sound is different, the vibration's different. That makes sense. I so hate the vibrations. Um, I hate the synchronized vibrations. I hate the other options they give you. So I make a custom vibration. Okay. And it's called light. And okay. what I do is I open the because the 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 vibration like creation tool is like this like square, and you like tap on the screen in different ways, right, to like make the sound to make the haptic. I do the shortest, lightest tap I can possibly muster. <laughs> and so it's literally, it feels, so it really feels like the Apple Watch tapping, you know, like the haptic on the Apple Watch. You can uh, almost yeah. get that with the iPhone too if you manually do it and you tap really, really lightly. So that's what I've had set for years. Um, and I love it because mostly I rely on the watch for notification vibration, right? Like the phone is silent and it does tap, but it taps super, super lightly. Finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Urban Armor Gear. 9to5Mac is teaming up with Urban Armor Gear to give away Apple's latest iPhone 15 to one lucky reader. Just hit the link in the show notes to enter. Urban Armor Gear create quality, rugged, protective cases for all of your essential devices, including the just-released range for iPhone 15. Urban Armor Gear is the leading designer of rugged, lightweight mobile device cases and accessories. Crafted in Southern California, their products are the result of obsessive dedication to quality and inspired design. And their latest collection for iPhone 15, 15 Plus, 15 Pro and Pro Max is available now. They've raised the bar on Urban Armor Gear's legendary standards for rugged phone protection. All their cases have a strengthened magnet module, making an ultra-secure connection with MagSafe accessories. And there's a wide range of styles, including the clear plyo case with anti-yellowing properties. In fact, their entire range has been updated, including new clear and graphic versions of their Pathfinder case and a totally redesigned Essential Armor case too. They offer industry-leading drop protection, an ultra-light impact frame, and so much more. So elevate your iPhone 15 protection with Urban Armor Gear. Check them out at urbanarmorgear.com now to discover the perfect case for you. That's urbanarmorgear.com. And don't forget to enter the giveaway to win an iPhone 15. Just find the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Urban Armor Gear for sponsoring the show. And to round out this week, we have some few different Apple TV stories. I think the biggest of which is Apple is apparently considering or in talks to acquire the global streaming rights to formula one racing can you tell us about this mayo it's a little bit confusing with how the current deals are structured and how apple would gradually take them over time yeah so you know apple has shown obviously apple has a lot of money so they have the reason to do this kind of thing (laughs) yeah and if they lose not if they lose that Google deal. That is, to be honest, that is true. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know how like all these streaming services are like losing money or whatever, and obviously Apple and Amazon can like fund stuff forever. But I, if iPhone say like the 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 way that the Apple TV Plus like 
production budget goes down is if iphone sales go down it's nothing to do with yeah. the streaming service <laughs> like if services revenue went through the floor because the google deal they probably would cut back a bit <laughs> but yeah that is that is 100 percent true but yeah so obviously right now apple has plenty of spare cash running around um and they've shown a big interest in if they're getting sports rights they want to go like big right so eddie q said this in multiple interviews they don't want just like small slices of games they want like big global reach you know big packages which is exemplified by the mls season pass which is all games for the mls worldwide eddie q's comments are slightly um undermined by the fact that they previously signed friday night baseball which is literally only a couple of games a week in only a few regions but clearly the mls season pass is the kind of deals they've been looking for right um and seemingly one of the reasons why the nfl sunday ticket deal fell apart is that they wanted global distribution and they wouldn't get it uh, so formula one right now apple has uh, sorry uh, formula one has deals with various countries that expire at various times so i think in the uk there's a five-year exclusivity with sky i think in america it runs through 2025 um but basically the business f1 magazine is reporting that apple is discussing with the f1 league a two billion dollar per year offer which is about double what the league currently collects in worldwide rights and the the view would be with this two billion dollar year deal that by the time that it matures uh, apple would have global rights but obviously out the gate they would only be able to get the rights for the countries that are available so this would start in 2025 with the american rights and then over the course of seven years slowly accumulate every other rights from all the other regions so it would start with about 25 percent of regions according to this report and then eventually get 100 percent by the end of the contract um sounds pretty appealing to the the f1 because it's you know twice the amount of money coming in as they get right now um so it seems like something that could be feasibly achieved uh, apple can 100 percent afford it and they would probably make their money back if they did it um obviously f1 is like a growing sport and mm-hmm. it's been you know bigger in europe for a long time but especially in america it's like catapulted in the last few years in large part to the netflix series drive to survive which has made it very popular um i also think it's very well attuned to um digital streaming uh, like you know the like what uh like production enhancements like special features like stuff yeah. that is just beyond mm-hmm. the basic video the, the the formula one is very good i watched formula one and there's like right now even you can there's the f1 tv streaming service which is like their own streaming service and that does loads of these production enhancements already um and you can get like multi-view of different of different camera angles you can get different stats showing up and you can do replays and like in the course of a formula one race you know there's 20 cars so there's 20 camera angles you can choose to see from the perspective of each individual driver as well as the overhead cameras right of the overall race you can then do replays so obviously like if people are going around corners stuff happens at different parts of the track at the same time and there's no way yeah. that the general broadcast will be able to see it all at once so if you have manual control you can go and choose the, the different angles and you can replay parts so like there's huge possibility there for you know tech companies to like enhance it and make it better and if you can get stats right and like they sh- there's loads of stats you can get during a race and there's plenty of downtime in a race to actually look at that stuff you know it's like you've got 70 laps by the time you get around to lap 20 there's time to like check the check the stats or see different information so i think it, it it's quite conducive to a like tech enhanced approach so i can definitely see the appeal and it's a growing sport and i think um apple quite likes formula one based on what we've already seen you know they they're doing a 
TV Plus is doing a documentary and they're doing a feature film uh, with Brad Pitt and stuff right now. So I think Apple, Eddie Q, the executive team have a have a interest there. And this seems obviously nothing's confirmed, and they haven't obviously signed it yet. But I can definitely see it happen, and I think it'll probably be quite good. The two billion dollar per year number being double what Formula One is getting now. At first, I was like, oh, there's no way that like Formula One would pass that up, but presumably when these deals with other companies come up from renewal that amount's going to go up regardless of yeah. whether it's apple or somebody else because like you said formula one is having its moment so to speak and is growing quite a bit so two billion per year being double it's a lot but other companies are going to come to the table with much bigger offers as well yeah maybe maybe this is just the starting point apple might negotiate upwards or you know like they or they've done the math and this is how much they're going to pay it's not clear if this would take broadcast rights or just streaming rights, for instance. So, like, oh, yeah. there's there's a bit of a distinction there. Um, but I think, like, this is, you know, if the US rights are renewing 2025, about now is about the time when this stuff starts getting negotiated, right? Because they obviously agree stuff in advance. So, you know, Apple's probably probably is having talks. I mean, whether how serious they are is a different matter because it seems like they've been having talks with everybody. Like, yeah. any sports league at the moment, there's pretty you know not just like random rubbish um, being reported like pretty reliable sources saying that apple's been talking to various sports leagues about making deals because i think they're looking for stuff to complement the success they've had with mls season pass but mls season pass no offense it's mls right like it's soccer yeah. like it's not the highest sports league it's not quite the prestige that apple was you know would love to have right on the books even Formula One smaller but i think that's a that's a that's a bigger ticket in the arsenal and they'll probably chase basketball and baseball more baseball rights eventually this week we also saw that they were talking with the college football playoff league for maybe some college football games um in 2025 so like they're always talking to different places and sometimes they come across a deal that aligns perfectly like they did with season pass for mls and then they jump on it um but a formula one season pass under an apple banner could definitely see it happen for sure and we've said this before but eddie q always says they have this these big ambitions about getting sports and getting sports rights that are global and all this and that. But one of the big, the big limitations here is there's only so many sports leagues and the deals only come up for renewal like every five to 10 years. So if Apple wants to put its money where its mouth is, it's kind of at some point it has to actually do that if it wants to expand beyond MLS season pass. Cause yeah. And they, they passed on Sunday ticket and now YouTube has it locked up for I don't, a lot of years yeah exactly uh, like season pass is like it was ex- you know the exception of the system because it's right. like such a yeah. weird situation they're probably never going to get as good of terms as they got with a season pass <laughs> deal uh you know no blackouts every country every game like it's just it's just a fact that season pass isn't very popular so <laughs> sorry the mls isn't very popular yeah. they were able to secure that um so you know eddie q can talk all he likes about global rights universally blah 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 if it gets down to brass tacks, I'm sure they'll take smaller packages, yeah, just like they did for Friday Night Baseball. You know, like they'll do it if they have to. But obviously, if they if they can get global rights, I'm sure they'll they'll push for it. Uh, and this seems like an opportunity where they could get it at least by the the end of the contract, uh, near the end of the decade, of course. But at least there you go. Uh, and speaking of season pass, uh, the Apple is obviously trying to capitalize on that in every way they can. Lionel Messi joined in July, and 
you know, clearly doubled the subscribers to Season Pass, and Apple TV Plus is sort of capitalizing it because this is now one of two documentaries uh, that they're doing with Messi. Uh, Messi Meets America uh, is dated now; it's coming out on October 11th, so next week. Uh, it seems almost just like an ad for Season Pass, but behind the TV Plus subscription. But I'm sure <laughs> some people of Lionel Messi would like it, uh, and it also helps paper over some shortfall content while the writer strike issues and the actor strike issues. Yeah. Um, persist obviously the writer strike was resolved uh well tentatively it hasn't been rational like the, the contract hasn't been signed on the dotted line yet because it's currently out to vote but it's going to get approved so the writer strike is over the actor strike is currently in negotiation again probably get resolved in a couple of weeks but the the last seven months of nothing happening that will come to bear sooner rather than later right because you know head into early 2024 there will be less stuff ready to go because they may not have finished stuff um, and so any any non-unscripted content they can get, like a messy docuseries, uh, helps paper over some of that distance. And beyond Apple TV Plus this week, the Wall Street Journal said that Netflix is planning another price increase that they would announce a few months after the actor strike is over. So I thought this was interesting that it's apparently particularly tied to the strikes. And some of the terms of the the new contract with the writers are that what you can they'll get bonuses for a show that's high performing on streaming there's better protection against use of ai tools but also a significant minimum pay increase and presumably the actors agreement is also going to come with some similar stuff so do you think netflix is raising is planning its price increase because of the added cost that it's now going to have to pay no. to writers and actors no no they would put the price up anyway it, Do you think the, the amount there, the amount extra that they have to pay, is small in the scheme of things? It is. They could they could not increase the price and still be profitable today. Netflix could be. Every other streaming service is losing money, but Netflix is doing pretty well. They put the price up because they want to grow the business. <laughs> it's well, as yeah, simple but... as that. Like this year, they didn't put price. Like obviously, all the streaming services put prices up in the last two years or so. Uh, Netflix hasn't done so far this year, but they have implemented the. Um, crackdown on password sharing, which is kind of like a price increase. If you, you know, do you know and, what I mean? It's just like yeah. we're actually raising the price. It's basically the same difference because you're stopping people that are sharing accounts t- to go to their own accounts. So I think this year they were just like, we just won't increase the price this year because we're already doing this thing. Um, but what they but also yeah, did too is take away that the, their basic plan mm. that was ten dollars a month. There's the ad free plan, which I think is like seven dollars, eight dollars a month. Ad supported is seven dollars. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, ad supported was $7 a month. Basic was $10 a month, and standard was $16 a month. 16 yeah. And they took away the standard. So, I mean, that's effectively a price increase, too. It's like what Apple did with the Pro Max. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they make more money. The reason they, they did that is because they if they put people on the ad tier, they make yep. more than $10 a month in ad revenue from them. So, they're happy with that trade-off right they literally make more money if you go if, if you're in the u.s and you go to the ad tier which is seven dollars they make more money from you per month than the 15 dollar tier without yeah. ads so you know in their mind they're, they're they're quids in they can either have people pay more <laughs> or they can make more through ads um and yet look streaming services have been depressed in price for the last five years ten years because of the competition, because of the quote streaming wars, everybody would just gone in for market share every, every which way they could. They didn't want to increase price because they thought they wouldn't be able to gain more in number. The metrics have changed. The The realities of profitability have 
come to the front. And so all these services, you know, Netflix does make money, but it would love to make more money. Every other service doesn't make any money. So every service that you can see will increase price and they will put ad tiers on, including Apple. Apple already put their price up from $4.99 originally in 2019 to $6.99 a month last year. I'm sure at some point they will increase the price again and they will probably add an ad tier. Like, why not? I mean, if yeah. like if you're Netflix and you can make more money on a $6 ad tier than you were on the $10 tier before, like every other streaming service is going to be like, well, we should do some of that because that sounds great. <laughs> you know, like you literally just offer a lower price service and you make more money from those customers. Yeah. And Apple, I'm sure, will do the exact same thing in time. Do they need to do it? No, but they want to make money. Like Apple TV Plus is a money-making venture over the long term. Some analysts out there will tell you that it's just like a brand thing and they're just doing it for fun. 100% not not the case, <laughs> in my view. No. They want to make it a business. They want to increase, bottom line, they want to increase services revenue in diversified ways beyond stuff like the search deal and stuff like App Store Commission, right? So, And, and the big growth opportunity they have is entertainment content. Apple Arcade, Apple Music, Apple TV. All of those things... They don't have to make money on them because they're Apple, but they are going to make money on them because they're a company, you know? And TV Plus could only charge $5 initially because they only had 10 shows. And yeah. once they got some more shows on the on the roster, and then they increased the price. And, I'm, and they don't seem to be any signs of them slowing down on content production. So I think they will end up having to increase the prices again. You can blame the strikes if you want to, but it's just if the strikes didn't happen or the, you know, the contract negotiations didn't change, all these companies are profit-making entities they're not making enough money, right? Or they want to make more money, so prices go up. I wasn't blaming the strike. I was saying that Netflix sounds like it might blame the strike or might time it in a way that people tie it to the strike. But Okay, th- that may be true, Yeah, but it's not true. <laughs> the, <laughs> the motivation is not that. That is not why. I think this year they just didn't increase prices because they were rolling out password sharing, etc. And yeah. next year they'll have got the bo- the boost from password from the sh- password sharing crackdown and they'll want to be increasing revenue again and f- i know everybody like talks about netflix being terrible on like not having good content these days but they have 230 million subscribers and rising i think they're doing okay i think people will probably pay more and they'll do the calculation they'll be like if we charge a dollar or more a month only a million people are going to leave and everybody else is going to pay us a dollar more per month so it's going to work out better yes yeah. what services do you pay for I'm curious. Uh, well, it gets a bit complicated because, like, you cancel and you sign up and you cancel do that and sign up dance. and you share with family, right? Like, yeah, that's true. We have a Netflix subscription shared with family that is technically across multiple houses. So at some point, they're going to crack down on us. Yeah, don't know what happened in that case. Uh, we have a Disney subscription in the family that I don't specifically pay for, but I guess I occasionally watch something on it. Um, Just a freeloader. We- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I pay for the Apple subscription just okay. that's how it's worked out so i pay i pay for apple one for the family generous so i pay the 30 pound a month for apple one premiere which obviously includes storage and music and TV plus and everything else and then we have um alternative means of acquiring stuff to watch as well i get you i get you yeah i think for me i have netflix but that's free through t-mobile quote-unquote free it's the netflix on us promo that they do i have hulu and disney plus but that's quote-unquote free through American Express, depending on what card you have, will give you a $20 a month credit towards different streaming services. So that's covered. And I think beyond that, it's just Apple TV+. Plus. 
which you have Apple One, right? I have Apple One. Yeah, I do pay for. It's not called CBS All Access anymore. I don't think it's called Paramount Plus. And I do pay for that when Survivor is on, when there's new seasons of Survivor, or when I'm like deciding to binge watch an old season of Survivor. But that comes and goes. By the way, sports, all the sports deals Apple's doing, that's almost indirectly mm. an Apple TV Plus price increase. Because yeah, that's although you true. don't pay for like it's an add-on, right? Like you don't get it for free as part of your TV Plus subscription. They want you to pay extra. So, and right now, like season pass is more expensive than TV Plus by a mile. Like on a monthly yeah. basis, season pass is fourteen ninety nine. TV Plus is six ninety nine. Like so, on pure price, they value the MLS more than they value their own content. They're spending billions on. So, like clearly, over time, the TV Plus price will will rise. It'll probably end up in the $15 range when they eventually fill out a content roster. Either that or they're going to cancel it and give up on it, but I don't think <laughs> it's going to happen. The Wall Street Journal story about Netflix also mentioned Apple TV and uh, specifically MLS Season Pass, and they said it costs $15 a month or $30 per season. And I was like, "That what What are they talking about? But then I remembered <laughs> that they cut the price because the season's almost over. It's, yeah, it's something yeah. to do with that, yeah. Yeah, they charge $99 a season. That's what I saw. Yeah, Wall Street Journal they, just the, missed that big that big caveat. Yeah, they they got that wrong, and I think some people think that now the price has gone down since past. That's the price going to be next year too. No, the price is nope. going back up. It might go. They might change it slightly, so it might only be like seventy dollars rather than ninety nine. But yeah. the price is going back up, and it's cheaper for Apple TV Plus subscribers too. So not loads though. It's like twenty dollars a year cheaper. Yeah. So the original February when the season pass launched, it was ninety nine dollars. If you're not a TV Plus subscriber, or $79 if you were. Not bad. Oh, I have MLS Season Pass, too. Again, through T-Mobile. Oh, do you watch it? No, I've never watched the game. <laughs> <laughs> T-Mobile has it for free. and so it's, I, That's why your T-Mobile thing costs $120 a month. I know, I was just about to say. Yeah. And they give uh, MLB TV for free, quote-unquote free. So yeah, T-Mobile is expensive compared to your $6 a month, but it does add up. I mean, MLB TV... For a season's like expensive, like 180 bucks or something. So that's a big, that's literally the reason I switched to T Mobile. So I shouldn't complain. One, one last thing I'll say before we wrap up mm-hmm. Formula One again. The hmm. In the UK, it's owned by Sky. In America, I think it's ESPN, but I yeah. could be wrong. Um, in other countries, they have the F1 TV app where they basically stream it themselves. And that costs $10 a month equivalent pricing, right? When Apple, okay. let's assume Apple takes it over, pretty sure they'll charge more than ten dollars a month for the same package. Yeah, because they charge fourteen ninety nine for MLS. <laughs> so, <laughs> I imagine that they, if you are an F one TV subscriber right now, you probably won't be very happy if Apple does clinch this because I, I can't imagine them charging only ten dollars a month for it. Maybe T Mobile will give it to me for free. That's what I'll hope maybe, for. Maybe, maybe I would actually maybe watch Formula One. I've been meaning to because tr- it's, it's pretty like, good. Yeah, everybody's watching it now. It seems like and. I got into it from watching the Netflix documentary. Yeah. The Netflix documentary is um, over-dramatized, for sure. Like, they play up stuff. But, like, it's a good way in to, like, let you know who the people are. You have to watch all five seasons of it. Just watch, like, the last season, you know. It's like a reality show, kind of, isn't it? Yeah. um, uh, It's like Hard Knocks is for NFL. You probably don't know what that is. but I don't know what that is. But it's, like, reality, reality. Like, they just make up stuff. They even, like, play clips of audio over, like, races that they those audio sound bites weren't weren't said in <laughs> like they like distort the storyline so much yeah uh, but the actual sport's pretty good and you you know they have like a race every other week or every two weeks or so 
you they have like a qualifier on the friday then like a practice on the saturday and then like the actual race on the sunday you don't have to watch all the other stuff you just watch the sunday race and then it's it lasts for like 90 minutes there's plenty of time to like get food or you know chat or whatever watching the background and or and you can get invested in it when when you want to so i've I've, i didn't watch it at all until last year and now i'm like into it and i play the game now as well i do the uh the racing game oh (laughs) yeah they're doing formula one and racing in las vegas this fall i think Mm -hmm. like next month or and i know people are my wife is going to las vegas next week for a work trip and she's mad because they've torn up like the entire las vegas strip putting in grandstands for people to watch formula one so like the bellagio fountain and the volcano at whatever hotel that's at like they're just turned off like you can't even see them so people are pretty mad about that and formula one tickets for las vegas are like two grand a piece or something yeah i don't know anyway all right i think that does it for this week you can send us feedback happy hour at nine to five mac.com leave us a rating or a review and find an ad free version of the show for five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year you can follow me on Twitter, Mastodon, Threads, Instagram, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where can we find you? At Beza de Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.